Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. Sorry for the brief hiatus, but a cold robbed me of my voice, and as it has returned, so can the podcast. This week, we're talking about France and analysing the first round of their presidential elections. The centrist Emmanuel Macron and far-right Marine Le Pen are through to the final round, but it was by no means a clear victory, as almost 55% of voters opted for neither candidate in an increasingly fragmented electorate. This week, we'll hear from Heather Connolly, director of our Europe programme, on what's to come. Well, I mean, what this election has meant is that the traditional two-party structure in France has totally collapsed. Uh, The Socialist Party candidate won 6% of the vote. Uh, The left is in disarray. The far-left candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, doing very well uh, in the first round. The right is also quite fractured, although uh, François Fillon became within a whisker of possibly making it into the second round. Uh, The fact that the party right now, the right, far right and center right, are so deeply divided, uh, we have now two candidates that are not part of the political party establishment in France. That That hasn't happened since the founding of the Fifth Republic. So we are in absolutely uncharted waters when it comes to how the political parties will function or not function in France. Um, What this also told us, I think in part, is that uh, France is at a real tipping point in how it wants and sees its future. The election was all about France and how it was going to rise to the challenge of globalization. Would it seek to reject globalization, reject you know, immigration, multinational companies? Uh, as Marine Le Pen has very clearly said, are you a globalist or are you a patriot? She sees herself uh, as a patriot and wants to protect France and protect it from globalization. And she portrays Mr. Macron, who is a centrist, who is neither of really the left or the right, as a new political creature of a leader of the movement en marche. Um, And she portrays him as the ultimate globalist working as an investment banker who wants uh, France to have a strong relationship with Europe and Ms. Le Pen wants wants France to move away from Europe. So the choice is quite stark, actually, Uh, despite a very close uh, first round. We have, France has very two choices, very two clear choices. Uh, someone who's going to per- try to protect France from the ravages of globalism, and Macron, a candidate who hopes to reform France to be more competitive in a globalized world. And uh, we've, we've learned on this podcast not to make assumptions. Ever, never, <laughs> ever, ever. But yeah. I will say, yeah. uh, well... Let me put it this way. Um, The second round is a completely different election. Uh, So you almost have to sort of put that one aside and reset yourself to think about what the second round will mean in May 7th. And this is where, quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure what we will see. We may, the, the first round was marked by very high voter turnout. This one potentially could be much lower. People may not be excited uh, about either candidate for a variety of political reasons. Um, And so they may vote with their abstention, and that may skew results. Um, We know that Russia certainly had some um, impact and operations to influence the outcome of the first round. We anticipate that those uh, uh, type of influence operations will increase. They're very 
the Kremlin is very favorable towards Le Pen. And in fact, a lot of the uh, trolling and the cyber hacking and the false stories were all focused on Mr. Macron. It was very specific. So that's an element. And one cannot discount that uh, in, uh, terrorism could be, uh, uh, we, we pray not, but we've certainly seen the lone wolf attacks on the Champs-Élysées, uh, the um, uncovering of a plot uh, that was hatched in Marseille. You know, there, there's some increased, uh, I fear, opportunities for, for a terrorist strike. Let's talk about Macron He's never held elected office, and he's quite young. What do we know about him? Well, we don't know much from his background. He's 39 years old. He spent several years at Rothschild Investment Bank. Um, He was a deputy director general uh, in sort of the economic portfolio um, for for the president's office, and then became the economy minister for two years and sort of the minister of innovation and economy. He left the Hollande government quite early to form his own political movement, not a party, a movement called En Marche, uh, you know, Onward or Forward. Um, so you are really speaking to someone who has not developed sort of a grassroots political organization, has never been a mayor, never been elected. In some ways, he is new. Uh, this is a, a new type of uh, uh, political expression. And this is this is what's sort of on most everyone's minds as we head towards the second election. Can he do this? Uh, France uh, is in urgent need of deep structural uh, economic reform. French society is not fully supportive of that. Can he do this? Can he bring together uh, an expert team from the left and the right, sort of put that best and brightest model, and can he get France back and growing and thriving? Or because he's not a part of any political mo- you know, p- party that will not provide him with structure and support when he needs it most for tough decisions, uh, is he going to be able to govern? So immediately after the May 7th, uh, presidential election, we are going to turn our attention to two rounds of June uh, legislative elections for the National Assembly on June 11th and June 18th to see what kind of parliament he is going to have. It could be a parliament that's in opposition to him. We don't know. Or it could be a, a hung parliament, which wouldn't give him a, a working majority. So lots of questions. So I think he's he, we have enthusiasm for this very young, dynamic guy, but we don't know if he can prove to be successful in governing the country. And and even if Le Pen ends up losing aid to Macron, that's not the end of her because of these legislative elections. No, I, I, well, and I, but I think just, just holding what we've seen on Sunday, uh, the National Front is now a fixture, a political fixture in France. It's not going away. She has grown the party. She has tried to legitimize the party, and I sort of put that in quotes. Um, she is a permanent m- party now. Uh, there, no more two-party system. That that has that system has now been destroyed. So you see this fragmentation, and she's going to be a very powerful part of that fragmentation for quite some time. She's not going to go away. She, uh, the National Front currently has only two seats in Parliament. We will see if those legislative elections bring forward more. Typically, again, it, it's sort of like what we'll see in the presidential round. 
The first round, she does very well. In some ways, it's sort of like everyone's protest frustration vote. In the second round, people vote against her. They block her, and then they don't translate into uh, seats. But they've been making a very important inroads at city councils and, and at the uh, mayoral level. So we'll see. But this thing, it's not to be dismissed like her father was. She's really created, I think, a permanent, uh, in some ways, obstacle to France's reform. And so generally speaking, I mean, if we're to pick someone that would do well for Europe, pro-NATO, pro-EU, we're kind of crossing our fingers for for Macron. Absolutely. Uh, Macron was really the only candidate out of the top four that wanted a strong relationship with Europe, uh, was advocating for that, was advocating for France to to reform itself and be more successful. The other three, well, Fillon wanted to reform France, but had a more reluctant relationship with Europe. And of course, uh, Mélenchon and Le Pen had very sort of anti-European perspective on NATO. Um, again, Le Pen would uh, prefer to take France out of the, the military integration of NATO, uh, Mélenchon a removal uh, from, from NATO, uh, Fillon a little more traditional view, I guess, on, on NATO. So uh, certainly Macron was the most sort of pro-EU, pro-global, globalization, um, and I would argue sort of in the, the pro-American camp than, than the other candidates, of course. So uh, all eyes now on uh, May 7th. May 7th. And of course, in May 8th is Victory in Europe Day. So I hope we have a victory in Europe uh, after this election. Uh, I, I think as I look across um, look across Europe, and we had the Dutch elections on March the 18th. Now we have SNAP elections in the United Kingdom scheduled for June 8th. And, and, and the Dutch then, elections were another fragmentation election. Too. Huge fragmentation. Yeah. 27 political parties uh, participated in that election. And Gert Wilders' Party of Freedom, 20% of the vote, second largest party in the Dutch parliament. So what I'd like to say is we can all, and I'm very grateful, sort of after after the Dutch election, we hope, after May 7th, we can all go, shoo, you know, dodge that bullet. Um, Europe is able to sort of suppress these populist and nationalistic instincts, and, and we're very grateful for that. But they're still there. They're still bubbling, simmering away. Um, and I don't think they're going to go away for the foreseeable future. And as the political party situation continues to fragment, you have more and more chances for these populists and nationalists who continue to be very successful, even if they may not win. You're just seeing this continue. It's, it's, it's being slowed. And we're grateful it hasn't been stopped. And we need to be very, very vigilant. These forces continue to grow in Europe as they continue to grow in the United States. And you can tack almost, too, it, it seems in the UK, that with the Conservative Party or with um, the with UKIP is that you know, you're seeing this play out on they're having less fragmentation because they're almost co-opting. Well, and that's the, uh, you're exactly right. That's the other trend. So what happens is for these uh, mainstream or the traditional political parties to survive, what they have to do is become more extreme to keep the voter voter base with them rather than shifting to the, to the far right and in many cases to the far left. So again, in the Dutch elections, you had the week before, week or two before the election, the prime minister taking out a full page ad basically saying to immigrants, we don't want you. Well, that 
that's really not that different from Gutwilder's message of exclusion of, you know, the so-called, his, his terrible statements about uh, Moroccan immigrants and things like that. So you start wondering, and this is obviously the some of the, the more extreme elements within the conservative party, they don't really need UKIP anymore. That same, that spirit really is within the mainstream conservative party part of it. So uh, again, this is why I keep saying populism and nationalism has not been uh, uh, confronted and addressed and, and dealt with. It's being managed and suppressed, but it's going to continue to keep bubbling out, I well, fear. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot more, I think, in the next few weeks It is election mania yeah. in Europe for 2017, so lots to talk about, for All sure. Right. Well, Heather Connolly, thanks for joining me again. Thanks, Colm. And with that, we've reached the end of another show. As always, if you have any feedback, you can let me know on Twitter or by email at cquinn at csis.org. That's it from me. Thanks for listening.